Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Thursday broadcast, and this is part two of a message that we started yesterday. And I want you to know that if you're going to work every day, thank you so much for working so hard and uh, being a blessing to your family being able to provide for your family, being a blessing to our community. And, uh, you know, uh, not too many Friday afternoons ago, I decided to go to Home Depot, and I was going to buy some stain for my deck. And uh, along with the stain, I was going to purchase some paint roller covers. And and, and I noticed something as I was buying these paint roller covers and and different paintbrushes uh, for the project of painting my deck. And uh, I noticed there's a lot of choices out there. Uh, Not only is there a numerous number of brands, but also there's various jobs, uh, but also various options. For example, uh, if you purchase a roller cover, a paint roller cover, uh, you can buy either good, better, or best, uh, depending on what you're doing and and what you want to spend, right? Uh, So good will do the job adequately. Uh, If you get the next brand, it's a little thicker, costs a little more, but it's a little better. And and then if you get the best, right, that's the thickest one and the most expensive one. And that'll give you the best quality of a job. Uh, So when I think about Christians and Christians in the workplace, uh, basically there are four types of Christians in the workplace. And that's why I want to kind of help you and to see if you can identify what kind of Christian you would consider yourself in regards to your work. Uh, The first is that the, the Christian who is simply just trying to survive, right? Uh, they're going to work every day. Uh, they're really not too happy about it. Uh, they're kind of going through the motions and uh, they're, 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 they're surviving, but they're not really, you, you know, doing great, right? And uh, in fact, George Barner says between 35 and 40% of the population uh, claims to be born again. And, and out of this percentage, I, I'm curious as to how many Christians are, are simply just going through life trying to survive? Kind of reminds me of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and all the anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. And Solomon says, this too is meaningless. So do you fit in that category? Simply trying to survive, but not a whole lot of meaning in what you're doing when it comes to work. There's a second kind of Christian that's out there working today, and that is the one who is living by principles. Uh, We would say this is better, this is good. Uh, This second type of Christian is in the workplace and and he's living by Christian principles. And, you know, America is is a society that loves systems and loves programs. And and after all, we are uh, the country that manufactures more than any other country. And and we came up with this great concept, thanks to Mr. Henry Ford, uh, the assembly line, right? Follow these steps. And and we love steps. And we find 12-step programs and books and seven steps of of losing weight and 10 ways to having a better marriage and and, uh, even sermons, right? Three ways to uh, live a happier life. And and for some people, uh, this is a kind of a program teaching, and it's, and it's helpful. It gives them uh, this ability to stay on track, gives them that track to run on. 
And Christian authors often will use uh, different acrostics, and, and, and this is really what I would call Christians who are, who are living by systems. And, and all of this can be helpful, and this is good, but we should recognize that the root of this form of teaching, it largely comes from a, a Greek-based system for attaining knowledge as compared to the early church, who really had more of a Hebraic or a Hebrew model of learning. You see, when the early church began to mature into the second and into the third centuries, there was more and more Greeks that were coming to faith. When they came into the faith, they also influenced the early Hebrew believers, teaching them reasoning and logic and even oratory skills. You see, the Hebrew learners, they found obedience was the way uh, that they could find satisfaction. And so as we think about this, many of us are using byproducts of a Greek system, uh, which is why we don't have the impact on the world maybe the way that we could. Uh, so this system often promotes a work-based relationship toward God. Now, Paul warned us against this when he said, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for advance for us to do. Now, Paul also warned against the Greek influence when he was was speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, my message and my preaching were not just wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Uh, so this second level of a Christian uh, tends to be very ethical. Uh, they want to do the right thing. Ethics are very important to them and laying the foundation, but they will never lead us to experience the power of God. You see, we fail the ethics test. Uh, we will disqualify ourselves from the power that God wants us to have. This level two type of Christian is often the best church worker because they like to follow you know, clearly defined tasks. However, in order to experience the freedom and the power of God in the Holy Spirit, this Christian must move beyond the milk of the Word, and they must get to the point where they're consuming the meat of the Word. So we've talked about one type of Christian worker, and that is the one that is just going to work and simply striving to survive. The second level, we said this is a good level, right? Christians who are living by Christian principles. And then the third would be the Christian who's living by the power of the Holy Spirit. We say this is even better, right? Romans chapter 8 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. So this third level, this characteristic level three Christian is best exemplified as one who has a, a heart toward God and he hears the voice of God in every aspect of his life. He looks at his work as this is an opportunity for me to be involved in receiving the spirit of God and give me the power to do well at my work. Now, if we look at these Christians and they've moved past the Greek system and they operate more on the, the Hebraic model as the early church did, they understand that their life is Christ's life, and the result of their life is to love God 
And it's born out of that, that heart of love for God. They understand that God's grace is there with them. They relate to God in a loving obedience. Uh, these Christians know the importance of developing a heart toward God through prayer and through the study of God's word and through obedience. And they realize these are the three core ingredients of their life, you know, God's word and obedience and, and prayer. And now let me share a story about how we can move from like a level two to a level three. Uh, as we look at this, there's a true story about an attorney, and this particular attorney was practicing law in Nigeria. And he was the head of a workplace ministry, and they did a lot of intercessory prayer. Uh, this man was arguing a case before his Supreme Court. Uh, the case had five points to argue. He came on that day of the court case, and he met with his legal team and met with his wife, and, and as he always did, he prayed about his case before he entered into the courtroom. On that particular day, the Lord spoke to him and says, don't argue points one through four, only argue point five. Now you can imagine uh, this potential impact of taking such actions as you enter in a courtroom and as you approach the bench. But this man says, your honor, I wish to change my plea today. And I only wish to argue point number five. Are you sure you want to do that? Yes, your lordship, this is what I wish to do. So he began his argument. The opposing attorney stood up before the court and for 12 minutes could not get a word out of his mouth. He stumbled this way and that way and finally approached the judge and said, Your Honor, it is unfortunate. My learned friend has not chosen to argue points one through four of this case. I wish to yield the case. You see, the opposing attorney had prepared for points one through four, but not for point five. This attorney lost a case, and the Christian attorney won the case. He was successful in the workplace because he prepared professionally, but there's also a secret weapon that God gave him, the power to hear his voice for direction. He supernaturally defeated his opponent by gaining information from the Holy Spirit regarding how the attorney had prepared. What an exciting way to live. This is a better way for us to live as believers. Sometimes as I'm giving a sermon, I set my notes to the side and says, well, I had a sermon prepared, but today we're going to go in a different direction. Now, I don't do that very often, but occasionally I realize that I've got to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one other type of Christian in the workplace. There's that first type of Christian that we mentioned, and that's the person that is just going to work and simply striving to survive. And the second is the one that is living by Christian principles, and that's good. Uh, the third is the one that is driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's even better. But there's one other point. This fourth level Christian is the one who is transforming their workplace for Christ. They are manifesting the kingdom of God here on the earth. Did you know that little phrase, kingdom of God, is mentioned 70 times in scripture? You know, the level four Christian is the one who is transforming their workplace for Christ. Level four Christians are a byproduct or a fruit of the Spirit. You can only transform your workplace if you're moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Now, rarely did he speak of salvation as much as the kingdom of God. Certainly, salvation was included in the kingdom of God, but it's included much more. Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God 70 times just in the New Testament. 
Look what he says in Matthew chapter 6. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as it is in heaven. Now, when we talk about transformation, we're talking about bringing the kingdom of God upon the workplace and society. The early disciples, they understood this. The apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade in Acts chapter 5. We see also in Mark chapter 16, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison, and it will not harm them at all, and they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Here we see a radical influence of Christianity among the people where the believers were working. Look what it says in Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. I will not venture to speak of anything, this is Paul speaking, I'm not going to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power and the signs and the miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the supernatural is part of the normal Christian life. There are examples of individuals who are transforming their workplace. Now, for example, there's a guy by the name of Jeremiah Lampfer. He was a businessman in New York City who asked God to do something significant in his life in 1857 in a small darkened room in the back of one of New York's lesser churches, a man prayed alone. His request of God was simple, but earth-shattering. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Here was a man approaching the middle age of his life without a wife, without a family, but he had some financial means. He made a decision to reject the success syndrome that drove the city's businessmen and the bankers You see, God used this businessman to turn New York City's commercial empire on its head. He began a businessman's prayer meeting on September 23rd, 1857. The meetings began slowly, but within a few months, 20 noonday meetings were convening throughout the city. Uh, The New York Tribune and the New York Herald issued articles, and, and they began to see revival was taking place. It had become the city's biggest news. Now a full-fledged revival was moving now, not only in New York City, but outside the outskirts of New York. By the spring of 1858, 2,000 people met daily in Chicago's Metropolitan Theater. And in Philadelphia, the meetings began to mushroom into a four-month-long tent meeting. Meetings were held in Baltimore and Washington and in Cincinnati and Chicago and, and New Orleans. Thousands were gathered to pray, and and one man stepped out. This man stepped out, and he had this announcement. It was the beginning of a national revival. This was an extraordinary movement of God started by one man. It was a unique time because the movement was led by businessmen, not by preachers, but by businessmen. A group long considered the least prone from any kind of background or any kind of business to have this evangelical fervor. It started a revival. It all began to mushroom. There was a man who was in the middle of this revival, a man by the name of R.G. Letourneau. He was a businessman, 
and he wrestled with the secular versus the Christian life and, and the work idea of, of separating what happens at work versus what happens in my spiritual life. He was a successful businessman in the early 1900s. As a result of experiencing the back end of that revival, he recounts a turning point in his life. He said, I began to understand how God desires to use business for his glory. His pastor one day said to him, you know, Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. Those were the words that guided this man's life. Mr. Letourneau says, I repeat them in public at every opportunity because I've discovered that many men have made the mistaken idea that there's a, a separation between the secular and the sacred. He says, my idea was that I am a full-time minister, even as a businessman. Oh, I want you to know, whatever you're doing, your job is a ministry. Your job is an opportunity to bless people wherever you go. You're going to meet people that I will never meet. You're going to have opportunities that I will never have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to know, God can even use our work to make us look and act more like Jesus. You say, how do I go through and understand how I can be used in a powerful way at my workplace? Well, number one, I think that you need to know where you are. When I am in the center of God's will, I need to know exactly where I am. You know, when Abraham was very old, the Lord blessed him in every way. And he said to his senior servant, which was probably Eliezer of Damascus in his household, uh, the one in charge of all that he had, he gives him a blessing and he puts his, his hand under his thigh. He was going to bless his servant. You know, based upon whatever stage you find yourself in, ask yourself, what in the world am I supposed to do? Well, I know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pass the faith along. Abraham was very old, and he's passing the faith along to his senior servant, who I think is Eliezer, who is the head of his household. He's putting him in charge of everything, and he's blessing him. So you pass that blessing on. Know where you are, know where God has placed you, and know who you can bless. I want you to know God uses us in the workplace to make us more like Jesus because it helps us to know where we are. Number two, it teaches me to be very specific in my accomplishments. When I think about what God does, God moves in mysterious ways. God moves in a way that he is very specific about what he wants us to do. Now, yesterday we talked about this very important subject about how we can know for sure that we're smack dab in the middle of God's will, and we can have wisdom to overcome ethical and moral decisions. We talked about thinking about our problems, that they are bigger than the promises of God. I want you to know, God's promises will always trump your problems. We talked about the fact that our problems are bigger than God's promises. We think that way and we get in trouble. But secondly, we talked about the fact that sometimes we think issues can be fixed by using people. Oh, we're to love people and use things. I want you to know you're never going to get victory over your problems as long as you're using people. We also talked thirdly yesterday about the fact that our feelings, oftentimes we use 
to pardon ourselves by blaming others, right? We feel miserable about where we are. And as John Wooden would say, you're not a failure until you start to blame others for your mistakes. It is only when we take ownership of our mistakes that we are to be set free. So focusing on fixing the problems, never on fixing the blame, acknowledge you're part of a mess up, and you'll be able to come out of that, that mess that you find yourself in. It was Eric Thomas who said, stop the blame game. Stop. Stop looking out the window and start looking in the mirror. And then the fourth thing that we've got to cover in the remaining moments of our broadcast today. So many times we think that running from our problems will make them better. That doesn't happen. Conflict resolution in the body of Christ is crucial. You see, the avoidance of conflict with no effort to resolve it postpones a problem. It doesn't give about a victory. You see, when we think about conflicts, conflicts that are allowed to fester unaddressed will always increase. And they will have a negative effect on relationships, not only within the body of Christ, but also relationships within the workplace. You see, the goal of conflict resolution is always unity. And unity in the church, unity within the church and the workplace poses a threat to the devil. You know, the enemy thrives and operates on mayhem. That's what he does. Now, Jesus says in John 8:44 that the enemy comes to kill and to destroy, to lie, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. You see, God wants us to resolve our problems. Don't run from them. Maybe you're in a job right now that seems kind of difficult. Has it ever occurred to you that God wants to bring about resolution and reconciliation in your job? Just be patient. Keep on working. Well, there's a final point that I got to cover. Number five. Oftentimes, we misunderstand God's provisions as God's approval. You see, God will always provide for us, but that doesn't mean he approves what we're doing. Just because God has blessed something financially doesn't mean that God's in the center of that. C.S. Lewis said this, when we lose one blessing, another is often most unexpectedly given in its place. Too many times we accept a secondary provision based upon the fact that we think God is providing for us. And I give a simple example of this. When we were starting our church, we were getting to the point where the church was getting too big for me not to have my full-time attention uh, with the church. The Lord is blessing the church. And and so I I had a dilemma on my hand. Uh, The dilemma was this. I had a job that was paying me very well. I was a sales rep for a company called Electroterm based up in, in Massachusetts, and I was making very good money. I had flexible hours, but uh, I was getting to the point where uh, I'm going to have to take a pay cut, a significant pay cut, uh, because the church couldn't afford to pay me what I was currently being compensated. So I had, to, I had to let go of a bigger blessing for what I thought was a lesser blessing. You know what God did? This is amazingly how God works. We had delayed buying a house. And we had set some money aside for a down payment when we were living in Lynchburg, and we decided that we we're going to wait uh, to buy a house, and uh, we we're going to wait till things are a little more stable in our lives with the coming up with the building of the church and all that. And and the and the amazing thing, we had set this money aside, 
and we put that money into starting the church. I told him, hey, you know, you can buy a house anytime, but you can't start a church anytime. And so we discovered that God supernaturally provided for us. Within a very relatively short time of leaving the job that paid more, taking a less pay from the church, we were able to buy a house. It blew my mind. How in the world did that happen? I want you to know that when you got do God's work, done God's way, you never lack God's resources. You know, when you think about your life, where do you want people to look at your life five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? I want to be a blessing not only to my present generation, but the generation to come. Genesis 12, 2 says, the Lord will bless you and you will be a blessing. That is my prayer for you today, that the Lord will bless you and that you will be a blessing. And part of being a blessing is that our blessings will, will flow to others and, and that, that we will trust God to take care of our needs as we allow these blessings to flow to others. But I discovered that these blessings always come back. Given it shall be given unto you. As I give and, and I'm blessing somebody else, that always comes back to me. It doesn't always come back in the same way that I gave it, but it always comes back. Listen, God will take care of everything. If you put him first in your life, if you allow him to have that preeminence in your life, he will take care of all your needs. Well, if you'd like to listen to other sermons, you can certainly pick us up on buzzsprout.com, B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T.com backslash 1890. Five five seven. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. We meet at 9 o'clock or 1030. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.